Albert Einstein, Richard Branson, Bill Gates, John F. Kennedy, Tony Robbins, Michael Phelps, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of industries. What else do they have in common? Well, they all have ADHD, but you don't hear much about that, do you? You know what you hear even less about? The successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm an attorney, not a doctor, a lifelong student, not a coach. I'm also the creator of Cortography, a patent-pending system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your superpowers, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest superpowers. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you, too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka, and I wanted to welcome you to episode 40 of ADHD for Smartass Women. This week, I am going to talk about how to prepare for a meeting with a doctor to discuss your ADHD. You know, this question has come up a lot in our group, ADHD for Smartass Women, our Facebook group, and I've noticed that a lot of women are fearful and stressed out by the prospect of having to meet with their general practitioner, family doctor, psychologist, or psychiatrist to discuss ADHD. What they're worried about is this. They know it's ADHD. They're certain of that but they're afraid that they're going to get a doctor who is not an expert in ADHD or a doctor who has outdated information about ADHD. I guess that would make that doctor not an expert in ADHD. They're afraid that they're going to get a doctor who's going to tell them that, nope, you're wrong. They're also worried that this doctor is going to think that they're lying about the ADHD just to get medication. Now, I have to tell you that the main reason that I finally just got diagnosed, I mean, I knew I had it. Nobody needed to tell me I did. But it was because I had heard so many stories about how ADHD medication had literally changed people's lives. And I was hoping that I could be one of those people. And as you well know, I wasn't one of those people. I'm actually part of the 20 to 30% who medication doesn't do anything for us except create worse symptoms. So I wasn't lying to get medication, but I definitely wanted to try it. I had done a lot of research, primarily for my son, but also research about how ADHD presents in women. And I was certain that I had ADHD, and so I too was a bit nervous that what I knew to be true would be challenged. Now, I initially met with a psychologist who asked me a bunch of questions about my childhood, what I felt were my challenges, if the symptoms had gotten worse. We talked about symptoms, and then she gave me a bunch of rating scales to measure my ADHD symptoms. She also had my husband fill out a rating scale. Now, one of the problems with ADHD is that there's no test you can take. There's no like a blood test, right, that will tell you if you have ADHD or you don't have it. So instead, what doctors rely on are interviews, questionnaires, and rating scales to measure the symptoms of ADHD. So, and you know, this is part of the problem, right? And I think that this, the fact that there are no rating, you know, that there is no specific test, this is what causes a lot of people to say, oh, well, you know, it's not really ADHD. Anybody can say that they have ADHD. So anyway, going back to my, 
my story. I, once I met with the psychologist and she, you know, gave me all the rating scales to take home and gave me some rating scales for my husband. I then came back a week later and she scored all those forms and she gave me the ADHD diagnosis. And then she asked if I was interested in medication. Of course, I said yes. And so she gave me the referral and I made an appointment for a week later with a psychiatrist. Now, when I first met with the psychiatrist, and I'm, I'm trying to remember, but I believe I only, yeah, I only met with him once. So he must have spent, honestly, at most 15 minutes. It might have been less than that with me. And we didn't talk about anything that I remember. There was no discussion about the different kinds of medication, stimulant or non-stimulant. There was no discussion about non-pharmacological options that I could do with medication or maybe even instead of medication, you know, things that maybe I could have tried first. All he did was hand me a script for Adderall. And I should mention that I'm in California and I'm part of Kaiser, which is basically an HMO. And so the process may be very different depending on what state you're in, where you are, your health coverage, you know, all of those things. I know that Kaiser has since been sued and I believe settled for millions of dollars for its mishandling of patients in their psychiatry departments. I was not impressed. Now, my son Marcus's diagnosis seemed much more thorough. And, you know, let me back up. I was not impressed with the psychiatrist. I thought the psychologist did a very good job and I felt, I felt very comfortable with her. I liked her a lot. My son Marcus's diagnosis seemed much more thorough than mine was. He had similar rating scale forms, but this time he filled them out, but so did we as his parents, his principal, I believe, filled one out, and I think two of his primary school teachers filled them out. His first testing at age 12 lasted the better part of a day. I think it was about six hours long. And they also gave him the Wexler Intelligence Scale Test. They call it the WISC-4. This test is given to assess cognitive function and ability. They're looking for giftedness, learning disabilities, strengths and weaknesses in kids' cognitive abilities. Now, I want to tell you, I, I didn't know, they kept using the term cognitive, and I didn't even know what that meant. So cognitive skill or function means the ability to perform various mental activities associated with learning and problem solving. Things like sustained attention, speed that you process information, working memory, etc. And I remember at the time looking that definition up because it was all over his report and I couldn't understand what they were talking about. So when Marcus was 16, right before he started his junior year of high school, we had him retested. And this doctor actually did an even more thorough testing. He met with Marcus one or more times a month for the whole summer before he retook the test. This time, the psychoeducational evaluation included the Woodcock-Johnson Johnson 3, it's not Johnson the third, the Woodcock-Johnson 3 battery of tests. Now, I thought these tests were far superior to the WIST tests. It was so much more comprehensive, and it really helped us and him pinpoint what his strengths and relative weaknesses were. This is the test that really turned me into a tiger mom when it came to fighting for Marcus with his teachers. Marcus is one of those kids that he can calculate numbers really fast in his head. He's just always been really good at math, yet that's the subject he's hated the most, and it just never made sense to me. Well, when he took the Woodcock-Johnson test, he was generally in the 98th percentile in math. At that point, I guess that what was really going on with him is he was bored because he didn't feel challenged in his math classes. Now, I should also tell you that these tests are expensive, you know, these tests for kids. 
You can pay anywhere from $750. I think that's kind of what we paid for the first test up to $2,000, depending on where you are and how many specialists are available in your area. Okay. So this is what the testing and obtaining an ADHD diagnosis looked like for me and my son personally. So let's say you want to get tested. You probably are thinking, okay, where do I start? Well, if money is no object, or if you're in an area where doctors don't believe in ADHD because they're not trained in it, in that case, even if money is an object, I would research and find a psychologist who specializes in ADHD in your area, and I would pay out of pocket. I know this isn't easy. Sadly, psychiatry, it's the least respected field in medicine. Many people, they don't even regard psychiatrists as medical doctors. And this isn't just among the public. This is also among health professionals, which means that fewer and fewer doctors are choosing this specialty. It's terrible, especially for kids. I know that child psychologists, they're like dinosaurs. They are so rare. I know that Kaiser, they were down to, I think, two child psychologists in our area and appointments could take up to two months to get. Now, I initially went to Kaiser, which is my HMO, to get diagnosed, but when I discovered that the psychiatrist who prescribed my Adderall, which did nothing but cause bad anxiety, when I discovered that that psychiatrist really knew little to nothing about ADHD beyond Adderall and Ritalin, I found a psychiatrist who had been the head of women's mental health in Northern California for Kaiser. She cost me $600 an hour and it wasn't long. So this is expensive. It wasn't long before I realized that I was just a science experiment, a science experiment that I was funding. Now she was super knowledgeable about ADHD. I, I will grant her that, but there's no magic pill if medication doesn't work for you or if medication just creates more symptoms than benefits, right? There's no choice you will have, but to just try and see because all of our, so when I say try and see to just, you know, be the guinea pig and test these various medications. Remember, all of our brains are unique and different. So what works for one patient does not necessarily work for another patient. So if I had to do it again, if I'm going through the testing phase, I think that I would just do the research and go back to my HMO psychiatrist because he was willing to work with me and say, okay, I want to try this one next, or I want to try that one next. Because honestly, I felt at that point, I knew more than they did. Now, all that said, now I knew more than they, I, I want to qualify that. I knew more than that particular psychiatrist who frankly knew nothing about ADHD. Okay. So all that said, I would start by asking for a recommendation from anyone that you know, who has a familiarity with ADHD, meaning they've been diagnosed, their child's been diagnosed, their grandchild's been diagnosed. You need a psychologist who really knows ADHD. And I should have said this earlier, but the psychologist is typically the one who will diagnose ADHD, and the psychiatrist is then the one who comes in and writes the prescription for medication if you want to try medication. Once you go through your friends and family, I would then ask your primary care physician if they have any recommendations. You know, most ADHD diagnoses, just so you know, for kids come from pediatrician, pediatricians, and I think that's fine if they're trained in ADHD, but most of them aren't. And I have to tell you that if I'm going to consider giving my child stimulant medication, I want to know that an expert in ADHD has diagnosed 
you know, him or her first. Now, I know I'm asking for a lot here, but my new policy for a lot of things is that if you have not personally experienced it, you're not expert enough for me, especially when it comes to my medical health. If I want to learn how to surf, I'm not going to hire someone who's never surfed and just watches other people surf. If I want to learn how to cook, I'm not going to hire someone who's never cooked but gets all his knowledge from, again, books and watching other people cook. So why would I trust my brain to anything less? To me, firsthand experience, especially with ADHD, is really important. There is so much misinformation about it. People that have ADHD just get it. And the best purposes give meaning to our past. So you can see that someone may have struggled with some sort of mental health issue, and then they have figured it out for themselves. And so that person would want to go to medical school, might want to be a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a coach because the best purposes give meaning to our past. So now that they know how they handled their issues themselves, they want to make sure that the that other people have less of a hard time handling those same issues for themselves. And I kind of tripped over my words, words there. So, you know, they've lived with it. I mean, the best math tutor my son has ever worked with is the one he has now. And he has ADHD. He understands my son and his brain, and he can suggest things that finally work for my son because they work for him. Again, brains are different, but there's a better chance that he'll suggest something that will work for my son than someone who's never struggled in school and frankly just doesn't get it, right? So my recommendation is when looking for an ADHD specialist, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a coach, a therapist, do whatever you can do to find one of us. Try to find someone who also has ADHD. And if I'm really reaching for the sky, I would want a female psychologist or psychiatrist who has ADHD. Why female? Same reason. ADHD presents differently in women, and this is only now really starting to be studied. For decades, ADHD in girls and women, it was just completely missed because it didn't always look like the stereotypical seven-year-old ADHD boy who's bouncing off the walls. I also believe that there's something akin to midlife ADHD. Women who had symptoms of ADHD since childhood, but they didn't reach the level of interference to classify as ADHD until midlife when their hormones started bouncing around. Estrogen directly affects dopamine levels. Okay, so where do you start in looking for these people if you do not have a reference from, you know, a family or a friend or another doctor? Well, where I would start is I would start out with the professional directories from ADA, which is the Attention Deficit Disorder Association. And by the way, all of these uh, links will be in the show notes. CHAD, which is the Children and Adults with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. I wish they would get rid of disorders and all of those names. The Attitude Magazine Directory. I know that a lot of you get articles from Attitude Magazine. It's an excellent research resource. ADCA, which is the ADD Coach Academy. If you're looking for an ADHD coach, their program is outstanding. And I say that with firsthand experience. I would also take a look at who's writing the books and blog posts that you're reading, who's speaking at the ADHD conferences about ADHD. You know, they are all seeing patients. So much of the information that we find today is online. 
So if you see an expert that you really relate to who's out of state, it would be so nice to just work with them, right? And you can do this as long as you aren't taking stimulant medication. Stimulant medication, it's a Schedule II medication per the DEA, which has the highest level of regulation for any prescribed medication. And most states will not allow physicians to prescribe Schedule II meds without an in-person visit. So there's that. And I I do, and I hope that, you know, this will change over time with more education, but I, I do kind of think that it will. Okay, what else can I tell you? This is probably the most important thing. You need to go in prepared. You know, I did a lot of research before I went into my appointment, understanding what the symptoms of ADHD were generally, but also understanding how these symptoms presented in me. If you're nervous going in and then you meet with a psychologist or a psychiatrist who doesn't understand ADHD, your short and long-term memory will fail and you won't remember anything. This will not happen if you go in prepared. Now, if someone asks me, for example, what my symptoms of ADHD are, even though I'm immersed in this every day, sometimes they still rattle around, right? There are some days I can barely remember what street I live on, and especially if there's even a little bit of anxiety that comes up, then my, my brain is just kind of, you know, blank slate, right? However, if someone asks me, is blurting out a symptom of ADHD, is a lack of good time management a symptom of ADHD? Of course, I know that there are symptoms of ADHD. I won't ever forget that, right? So my point is make this easy for yourself and I am going to help you do this. What I've done is I've created a checklist for you to go through before your appointment. You're going to check off your symptoms, and then you're going to write down how your ADHD symptom presents. If there are symptoms that aren't listed and you think they might be ADHD, add them to the worksheet. I'm actually, I think I haven't created it yet. I wanted to record this first, but I think what I'm going to do is it's going to be a combination worksheet checklist. So it's in any case, it's going to be a a comprehensive checklist. And if there are symptoms that I don't list and you think they might be ADHD symptoms, of course, I want you to add them. Okay. This is going to be a place to help you organize your thoughts because I know your brain. I know that if you have a structure, you can do this. So I'm going to give you this structure. And by the way, this is for adults only. What I've done is I've gone through the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. I know I hate that term. And I created a, I'll be, I've created the checklist already, but I'm going to be creating a worksheet that goes with that. And that worksheet and checklist are going to have the criteria for ADHD in adults. And the criteria is this, five or more symptoms of inattention and or hyperactivity or impulsivity must be present. These symptoms have to be present for at least six months. These symptoms must be present before the age of 12. I will tell you that there are many ADHD experts, especially experts in ADHD for women, who believe that symptoms in girls often don't appear until puberty, which can be much later than 12, right? For me personally, I think I was 13 before the big symptoms really started to show up. Now, these symptoms must be present in at least two or more settings, home, school, work, with your friends, with relatives, or, you know, general activities. There is no requirement, however, that the symptoms at this age, meaning the symptoms at 12 or younger, cause impairment. They just have to be present at this age. Finally, 
For an ADHD diagnosis, you must have clear evidence that the symptoms interfere with or reduce the quality of social, academic, or occupational functioning. Now, this is a change from the DSM-4, and it explains the increase that we're be- we've been seeing, right, in ADHD diagnoses. The DSM-4 required clear evidence of clinically significant impairment in social, academic, or occupational functioning. Today, all you need, you don't need impairment. You need that the symptoms interfere with or reduce the quality of social, academic, or occupational function. So it's a lesser standard. So let me use myself and give you an example. I had many symptoms of ADHD that were present before the age of 12. I was certainly hyperactive. I chatted up a storm. I I would just blurt things out at times. In fact, I think I've told you my parents called me the Burlingame blah. No, the Burlingame blab. (laughs) They couldn't tell me any family secrets because I would just go up and tell everybody, right? So I had many symptoms of ADHD that were present before the age of 12. However, they did not become impairing until my mid-40s. I did not struggle in school. Granted, I'm certain that I could have done even better than I did, but I didn't really see them as impairing, right? In my, actually, wait a minute, they don't need to be impairing. They need to be, the symptoms need to interfere with or reduce the quality of, you know, various aspects of my life. And I did not feel that that, that that was happening for me at all. However, in my mid forties, the symptoms did begin to interfere with or reduce the quality of social, academic, or occupational functioning. And therefore, they qualified for the ADHD diagnosis. Now, there's also a good chance that if you're a woman and you go in wanting to talk about ADHD, your doctor will suggest that it's anxiety or depression. And it might be, but I want you to remember that ADHD is a comorbid condition. That means that it can still exist with anxiety and depression. From everything that I've read, what you do is you treat the ADHD first because the cause of the anxiety or the depression could very well be the frustration of living with ADHD. Now, I am not a doctor, but again, I know how your brain works because I share it. So my goal is just to give you that framework or structure to recognize and discuss your symptoms with your doctor, right? It'll allow you to do that. I know that once you have a structure, you can do this. So you will be able to download the how to prepare for a meeting with your doctor, colon, adult symptoms of ADHD worksheet on our show notes. If you're interested in that, just go there. You're going to find them at tracyoutsuka.com forward slash podcast. What else should you do when uh, meeting with a doctor to talk about your ADHD? Ask about alternatives to medication and follow-up care. I know you've heard me say over and over again, pills don't teach skills. Study after study indicates that medication works best when you compare, when you pair it, not compare it, when you pair it with something like cognitive behavioral therapy, exercise, good sleep hygiene, et cetera. So really talk about what are some uh, non-pharmacological options that I could either pair with my medication or that I could try first. You want to talk about follow-up visits. How does your doctor work with these? You know, certainly when you're talking to a psychiatrist who's prescribing medication, 
what happens if the medication doesn't work or is, or it causes symptoms? How will we handle this? And how long do you think that I should be on a medication before I determine, hey, this doesn't work? I mean, in my experience, having literally pushed myself through medication that never worked for me and just made me feel awful, but you know, I'm a bulldog and when I, I've got that intensity and when I say I'm going to do something, I stick with it. And I stuck with medication for two or three months that I should not have been on. I knew from the very beginning that it didn't make me feel good. And my experience and my understanding talking to a lot of people with ADHD is when the medication kicks in, it usually is immediately. And at most, maybe, you know, it takes a week or two. So there's that. What else do you want to talk to them about? Well, refilling prescriptions. How is that going to be handled? How often am I going to need to be coming in? How often do you need to see me in order to refill my prescriptions? Again, I really want to encourage you to educate yourself before you go in to see your doctor. It's not going to take much for you to know whether ADHD is something that explains everything that you've questioned in your life or it doesn't. You know, when we know it, we just know it. If you're looking for a strengths-focused book list to educate yourself on ADHD, you can go to my book list, which is at tracyatsuka.com forward slash book list. And it's, it's book hyphen list, and it's a big B and a big L. That's also going to be in the show notes. I believe, I know, I don't believe, I know there's also a podcast that talks about the various books. So I really hope that helps you. As always, you are listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. If you like this podcast, please let me know by leaving me a review. My goal is to change the conversation around ADHD by helping as many women as I possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work. Your reviews, they really help in that regard. I definitely need your help. So if you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview, or a topic idea for this podcast, you can go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com and leave me an audio message or reach out to me at tracy at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. If you liked what you heard, we sure would appreciate a review. And not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, well, that's also the name of our free Facebook group. Go look it up. We're a totally smart-ass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. We'd love to have you join us. You can also find all my details over at tracyoutsuka.com. Don't forget, I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.